The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, I remember one day when I was about 20 years old, uh, my wife Heather and I were at her grandmother's apartment. Uh, we were in college. I'm not sure if we were married yet. We called her grandmother Bubby. She would have been about 95 at the time. I remember that we were in her living room in the apartment. Uh, there were, you know, chairs from the 80s. You kind of picture the colors there. And there was a large TV before everybody had large TVs because her eyesight was failing. And there were these uh, windows out on the backyard. So we're there. It's middle of the afternoon. And our, major, our, our visit must have been after I changed my major to religious studies, after I knew that I wanted to become a pastor, because that's what we were talking about together. And Bubby was the most tactful person I have ever met. But Bubby was not a fan of me becoming a pastor. And so she very grace, graciously... Uh, asked that day, how will you become a pastor at such a young age? Uh, remember, she's 75 years my senior. And so in a gracious way, she was saying to me, how will you, who have just come out of the womb, uh, give wisdom to a congregation? What will you possibly have to say? I realize now that there was actually a lot of wisdom in that question, more than I knew at the time, but in my young precociousness, I answered And I said something like, well, Bubby, you're right that I'm young and I haven't experienced a lot of things, but I have an ancient book and God will be with me. And I still believe that to this day, except the young part, I guess, I'm getting over (laughs) that. In retrospect, the only thing I wish I would have added to that answer is that I also had said, I wish I had also said that I have a living Savior and a Holy Spirit. I wonder what gives you confidence to be a minister of the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been commanded and commissioned by our Lord to make disciples of all nations. That command applies to you as well. Every follower is commanded to make disciples through what we call evangelism, which is telling people who don't know Jesus about Jesus, and through discipleship, which is telling people who do know Jesus about Jesus. I was reminded this last Friday as I was teaching part of Redeemer 101, that in our church covenant together as a family, if you're a member, you've, you've agreed to this church covenant, it says a couple of things. It says, we will walk with our brothers and sisters in love, promoting holiness, discipleship, worship, and sound doctrine. And it says, we will seek to advance the proclamation of the gospel through those relationships God affords us in our families, workplaces, and communities. So together, we have been commanded by Jesus to make disciples And we've covenanted together as a church family to make disciples through evangelism and discipleship. Now, my goal this morning from 2 Corinthians 3 
is to try by the Holy Spirit's power to strengthen you, to encourage you in your ministry of making disciples. I hope by God's grace you leave here just a little more confident in the right way, the right kind of confidence in your calling as a disciple maker. So we're talking today about the cross and confident ministry, the cross and confident ministry from 2 Corinthians 3. And in this chapter, I see four reasons that Paul gives for why he was confident to minister the gospel. And these four reasons, even though Paul is an apostle and we're not apostles, these four reasons for confidence in gospel ministry apply to us as well. Because we are followers of the same risen Lord, and we are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit. And so these are four reasons for us, each of us and us together as a church, to be confident disciple makers. So that's what we're going to look at. And the first one, are you ready? The first one is that the Spirit changes hearts. That's the first reason to be confident in telling people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. Now, if you're new here this week, let me give you a little bit of background. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because our practice at Redeemer is to preach through books of the Bible, and so we've been in 2 Corinthians. And this book is actually a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Corinth, which is a church that he had planted. And one of the reasons that he's writing this letter is to try to protect them against false teaching. There were some false teachers that had come in since he had left, who were trying to convince the Corinthians to follow them away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So part of what Paul is doing is defending himself, not in a presumptuous way, but so that they will listen to him and be reminded of the truth of the gospel that they heard through the Apostle Paul. So in the first three verses of this chapter, we see this confidence-building truth that the Holy Spirit is the one who changes people's hearts. Listen to these verses. And if you have a Bible, I hope you have it open and you'll follow along today. Paul says in verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts." So the false teachers that had come in apparently came with all this paperwork about why the Corinthians should listen to them, why they should trust them. They had their CVs, their letters of recommendation. Everything was there in paper form. But Paul is saying to them, you, Corinthians, are our letters of recommendation. Your hearts were changed by the Holy Spirit through our gospel ministry The Holy Spirit wrote the law of God on your heart through our ministry. So if you want letters of recommendation as to who to trust, you are that letter of recommendation because the Holy Spirit has changed your heart through Paul's ministry. So these false teachers that had come into Corinth were like a scam phishing email. It looked authentic, like it really does come from the bank, but don't click that link. Notice there in verse 3 where Paul says the Corinthians were a letter written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God and not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Now there's a lot going on there in those verses because Paul is drawing on some Old Testament themes. And as we look at these Old Testament passages, we'll see that the deepest need of every person is heart change. Not behavior change, not changing the externals, 
But as Jesus said, cleansing the inside of the cup, the heart needs to change. The deepest need of every person. Now, there's some specific verses in the Old Testament that Paul must have had in mind. The first one is in Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are written on stone, tablets of stone, he says. And then in Ezekiel 36, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart. Remember, this is before Jesus came. It's a prophecy. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's a heart of stone there. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So there's Exodus, there's Ezekiel, and then there's Jeremiah 31, which we heard earlier in the call to worship. When it says, look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they'll be my people, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. What do these Old Testament words about our New Testament ministry have in common with Paul's words? Well, you heard the stone and the hearts of flesh and writing it on the hearts. These are prophecies about what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross and established the new covenant. These are prophecies about the need for heart change. See, even though the Israelites had God dwelling in their midst in the tabernacle and then in the temple, even though the Israelites had the law of God, it wasn't enough. They needed their hearts changed by the Spirit of the living God within them. And so that's the promise of the new covenant that came when Jesus came. And if that's Israel's deepest need, who already knew God, to have their hearts changed, then how much more is it everyone's deepest need to have our hearts changed from the inside out by the living God? Behavior change is not our deepest need. Heart change is. So often we are like gas cars trying to run on diesel. Or even worse than that, we're like electric cars trying to run on gasoline that's been poured on the driver's seat. We don't even know what's wrong with us. We think if we can just change a few things, life will be better. But what we really need is the engine overhauled and replaced. The heart needs to be changed. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit does that work. The Father promised new hearts The Son filled the prescription, and the Holy Spirit does the surgery. Don't parse that analogy too closely. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) But here's why that should make you a confident minister. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the miraculous ministry of changing human hearts. That's not on you. You don't have to work the miracle. You point to the one who works the miracle. So this should give us confidence telling people about Jesus. We can't change them, but the Spirit can do the changing. We are not salespeople trying to close the deal. We are ambassadors of a kingdom that has come, and the king is standing right next to us as we're telling people about him. We are the farmer in Jesus' parable. We sow the seed, and then we go to sleep, and God does the work. And we pray. If the Holy Spirit is the one who does the heart ministry, that should lead us to prayer. Prayer is pleading with the only one who can make the deepest and most needed change in people. So we should be confident, disciple-makers and evangelists, because the Holy Spirit changes people's hearts. Now, here's the second reason that we should be confident, disciple-makers. It's that the Spirit makes us competent to minister. The Spirit makes us 
competent to minister. Look again at verses 4 through 6 and be asking this question. What is it that the Apostle Paul relied on to give him confidence in his competency to make disciples? Where did he get his confidence? Look at these verses again. We heard them read a moment ago. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the Apostle Paul, who had trained at the best school, the Apostle Paul who had probably all of the Old Testament memorized, the Apostle Paul who saw Jesus on the Damascus Road, the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the books of the New Testament, was not confident that he was competent in himself to tell people about Jesus. That would be like if later today, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Chiefs, goes you know, to his coach, Coach Reed, on the sidelines and says, I'm not sure if I'm competent to throw a football. Like, what would, what would you say if you were his coach? You'd smack him upside the head. And you'd say, get out there. You've thrown a football before. You've won a Super Bowl. If you did that with Paul, though, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't make him confident. I don't know what he would do if you smacked him upside the head. Paul's saying his confidence is not in himself, but it's through Christ toward God. That's what he says in verse 4. If you want to be a confident minister of the gospel, your confidence needs to come through Christ toward God. Notice both parts of that. Number one, through Christ. Paul's confidence for ministry came through Christ, not through his own track record, not through his achievements, not through what he had accomplished, not through his gifting, but through Christ. Do you know Christ? And then toward God. Paul's confidence for ministry was not confidence toward himself. It wasn't confidence toward his ability, rhetoric, to be an an orator. His confidence wasn't in his, uh, wasn't toward what people will respond to him with. His confidence is toward God. Where do you look for confidence in this world? When you walk into a room, maybe full of strangers, where do you look for confidence? If you have confidence toward God, you can have confidence in any room. If you know that God looks at you and is pleased, God who knows the very deepest truths about you, The things you have suffered and the things you have done. He knows you intimately and perfectly. And yet, through Christ, if you have faith in Christ, he looks on you and loves you. If you have that confidence toward God, you can have confidence in any room. And you get that confidence, again, through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, which means that anyone who comes to the Father through Jesus can come on in, can come safely into his presence. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple which separated the holy place from the most holy place where God dwelt, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Meaning that through Christ, we now have access with confidence to the throne of grace. If you have confidence toward God, you can have confidence in any room, and you can have confidence toward God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Any sinner who will confess his or her sins to Jesus can have that confidence toward God through Jesus because Jesus died to forgive your sins and bring you into the family of God. 
So if that's you, you can have confidence for evangelizing and discipling through Christ toward God. And we can be then encouraged and strengthened in the same way that Paul was. We can be encouraged that our competence to minister is not in ourselves. Our competence is from God. He says that in verse 5. In another place, Paul says, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the same is true for you. By the grace of God, you are what you are. If you have tasted the grace of God, then you are competent to tell somebody about that. You might wonder, what am I going to say to somebody that's going to help them grow in Christ or help them know Christ? Well, if you've tasted the grace of God, you're competent to tell them about that. You're at least competent to tell them your own story. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I want to be confident in my evangelism. I want to be confident in my discipleship. When I contribute to the discussion in a community group, I want to be confident in the right way. But what am I going to say? And what if I say the wrong thing? Well, honestly, what I would say to you is, go ahead and say the wrong thing. How do you know it's the wrong thing anyway? Are you competent in yourself to judge what's the right and wrong thing to say? And do you think that the Holy Spirit can't use the wrong thing said to get glory for Jesus? So your competence comes from God, so don't worry about it. Speak as best you can, as faithfully as you can. Trust God and then be open to correction. Who was the most eloquent uh, speaker in the New Testament? I know you weren't promised to pop the quiz today, but who was the most eloquent speaker in the New Testament? Okay, Jesus. Second, you're right. Okay, yes. Second most eloquent speaker in the New Testament. Name starts with an A. I know, deep, deep Sunday school trivia. Anybody? Aaron? New Testament. Aaron was eloquent. New Testament, though, Apollos, somebody said, I think. Apollos. Um, people wanted to follow Apollos sometimes more than they wanted to follow Paul because he was a great speaker. But do you remember the first time Apollos shows up on the scene in the book of Acts? And he's speaking in the synagogue, and everybody's, you know, captivated by him. And then what happens right after that? Priscilla and Aquila, who are older in the faith, take him aside, and they have to correct him on some stuff. He didn't, they didn't, he didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did that make Apollos bashful to do more ministry? No. Because it's actually after that that people want to follow him instead of Paul. Anyway, you can be confident. And if you say the wrong thing, if God needs you to be corrected, somebody will correct you. So just say the wrong thing and be open to correction. See, whenever you feel insufficient in yourself to speak about Jesus to somebody, you're in the perfect position, the perfect heart posture to tell somebody about Jesus. Like, if you go to somebody about Jesus and you feel perfectly confident within yourself that you can do this and you're going to kill it, I'm worried about you. You might be preaching your own pride. The secret of the Apostle Paul's power to minister to uh, Jesus to people was that he knew that in himself he was powerless to minister Jesus to people. His competence came from God. Okay, and then look at verse 6. Our competence is from God, and it's for new covenant ministry. For new covenant ministry. This is exciting. We Christians are ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This takes us right into the third reason we have in this passage for confidence in ministry. And that third reason is that the Spirit has given us a glorious ministry. A glorious ministry. New covenant ministry is a glorious ministry. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a faint picture of it in the book of Exodus chapter 34. 
back in Exodus, when Moses comes down the mountain from talking to God with Mount Sinai, he's got the two tablets of stone in his hands. I don't know if they're like this or if they're like that, and all the pictures, they're like this. He's carrying the two tablets of stone, and his face is shining. It's like an Instagram filter, but IRL, right? In real life. And it's shining so much, people are afraid. They don't want to come near him. So he reassures them, and they come near, and he commands the people everything the Lord uh, told him to command, and then he puts the veil over his face. And it says that that's what happened. Every time Moses would go before the Lord, he would take the veil off. Uh, He would come out, his face would be shining. He would tell them what the Lord said, and then he would put the veil back over his face. Moses' ministry was so glorious that he had to cover his face most of the time. But brothers and sisters, that is nothing compared to our ministry. That's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says in verses 7 through 11. He says, now if the ministry that brought death, he's still talking about Moses' ministry. If the ministry that brought death chiseled in letters on stones came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. New covenant ministry is even more glorious than Moses' ministry. And Paul tells us exactly why with all those comparisons he makes. Moses' ministry brought death. Our ministry of the gospel in the Spirit brings life to to people. Moses gave an eternal law, an external law that the people could not fulfill. We proclaim a risen Savior who sent his Spirit to indwell. Moses' ministry was chiseled in letters on stone. Through our cross-shaped ministry, the Holy Spirit chisels the law of Christ on human hearts. Moses' ministry was rules they couldn't keep, but in the power of the Spirit, our ministry is the King named Christ ruling within his sheep. Moses' ministry brought condemnation, but the Spirit's ministry through you brings righteousness. The law of God came in to increase the trespass. We naturally want to break even good rules, but the grace of God has come in Christ. So through our mouths, full forgiveness can be pronounced. Moses could point to guiltlessness before God, but he didn't have the power. He had the GPS, but not the car. Moses' ministry was temporary, to tutor Israel and then to be set aside, but the ministry of the Spirit that we participate in when we disciple and evangelize will endure forever. Do you realize the power that you have in the gospel? It's like you're sitting on a bomb that can blow the shell off the hardest human heart and bring eternal life and joy and peace. It's like you know the cure to cancer. So let's not just sit on it. Let's minister with confidence. We have a glorious ministry. We get to paint the Sistine Chapel. Moses just got to play with crayons. And I can't believe I just said that about Moses. But that's what Paul says. No glory compared to the glory of the new covenant ministry.
So that's the third reason that we have to be confident ministers. We have a glorious ministry. And the fourth reason is that the Spirit has set us free. The Spirit has set us free. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I want to point out to you four specific freedoms that are ours in the Spirit. First, we're free in the Spirit to have a solid hope. Hope can be such a flimsy word, I know. Like, I hope I have a sandwich for lunch. I hope I get an A on the test. It can be a flimsy word, but that's not what Paul means in verse 12 when he says, Since then we have such a hope. He means that we have an absolutely certain future hope of being raised from the dead to be with Jesus forever. I got to say that again. He means that we have an absolutely certain hope of being raised from the dead to be with Jesus forever. So we're not talking about a paper-thin hope that can get blown over by the smallest wind. We're talking about a a rock, a boulder of hope that nothing in this world can nudge. We can be confident ministers of the gospel because the Spirit has set us free to have such a solid, good, permanent, unshakable, imperishable, blessed, glorious, joyful, happy, incomparable, indescribable, beatific hope. Second, the Spirit has set us free to be bold. Look again at verse 12. Paul says, since we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. No, our hope drove Paul to boldness. So let's be bold. Will you be bold in telling people about Jesus? Are you willing to risk bringing it up, bringing Jesus up to a lost friend family member or neighbor. Yes, you can be bold because you have such a hope. How about in community group, can you share something that you have learned about the Lord and in that way help disciple those around you in that group? Yes, you can be bold to speak up because you have such a hope. Will you be bold, not out of self-confidence, but out of a hope-saturated, grace-activated awareness of your own insufficiency and Jesus' all-sufficiency? The Spirit has freed us with Paul to be very bold. Third, he's freed us to see Christ in all the Scriptures. Maybe you didn't expect that one, but that's where Paul goes. Verse 14, Paul says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Christ remains unseen in the Old Testament for those who don't believe in him. But for those of us who believe in Jesus through the Spirit, the Old Testament has gone from black and white to full color. We can see Jesus Christ on every page. If you have been here for any of our Old Testament preaching at Redeemer, you have seen that. We could easily take the rest of the day on this point, showing Jesus from every page of the Old Testament, and it would be wonderful, but at some point the child care workers would come for me. So (laughs) we've been free to see Christ in all the scriptures. Your whole Bible you can use to tell people about Jesus, so be a confident minister. Number four, the the fourth way the Spirit has set us free to be Uh, is to be made more and more like Christ. He set us free to be made more and more like Christ. Look at verse 18. 
we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When is it that we're looking in that mirror so that we can be transformed? That mirror at the glory of the Lord. The answer is every time we look at the Scriptures. In a lesser way, every time we look at another Christian, we look into that mirror of the glory of the Lord. Every time we hear another Christian speak of Jesus, we are looking into the mirror of the glory of the Lord. Every time we hear a good sermon or meditate on the lyrics of a good Christian song or read a good Christian book, we are looking at that mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed by the Spirit. See, the Spirit has set us free to change In fact, he is changing us into the same image of Christ from glory to glory. So it's not just that we have a glorious ministry, it's that we are glorious and are being made more glorious day by day as we read our Bibles, as we go to church, as we listen to good, solid Christian worship music, not empty, calorie-free diet. (laughs) That's a rant for another day, Christian music. That's another sermon. Read the Bible. Look into the mirror of the glory of of the Lord and be confident the Holy Spirit is changing you. Are you unhappy with how you've been acting lately? Are you unhappy with how you look when you look in the mirror? Then look in that mirror less and look in the mirror of Jesus' glory more and more. Open your scriptures and see him. And be confident then that the Spirit has freed you to change. He is making you more and more like Jesus as you behold him. And one day when Jesus returns, we will see him and we'll be perfectly like him because we'll see him as he is. So there's four reasons in this chapter for confident ministry. The first is that the Spirit is the one who changes hearts. The second, the Spirit is the one who makes us competent. The third, the Spirit has given us a glorious ministry. And fourth, the Spirit has set us perfectly free. Now, who will you minister to this week? Who can you tell about Jesus in evangelism or discipleship? Who do you need to encourage or rebuke or remind about Jesus this week? And in the next three months, let's say, who will you invest your life in? so that they will see Jesus and become more and more like Jesus as you become more and more like him too. About a year ago, uh, there was a woman who uh, just went to a Vancouver Canucks game in Seattle, a hockey game. And she was entering medical school, and she noticed on the the back of the neck uh, of one of the staff of the Canucks, there was a mole there that looked suspicious. And so she wrote up a little note to this staff member, probably explaining who she was and why she was doing this. And after the game, she got his attention. And she held her phone up to the glass, and he read the note. And he said afterwards that he was a little annoyed, right? I mean, who's this perfect stranger offering me advice about my life? It's like somebody stopping you in the grocery and telling you how to parent, somebody who doesn't have kids with them. Um, Who's this person? Why are they doing this? But he got over that, and he realized he owed it to her which I thought that was a a remarkable statement of his own humility. He owed it to her to go to get it checked out. She took the time to write the note, so he went and got it checked out. And turns out it was was a type 2 malignant melanoma. I memorized those words. I don't know what they mean. 
It sounds bad, though. And I read that if, you, if, if it were left unchecked for five years, he could die. So, but they caught it. Because of her, they caught it in time that it was a minor surgery, and, and he's fine. Afterwards, he was doing a press conference on it, and he said that she extended my life. I've got a wonderful family. I've got a wonderful daughter. She saved my life. And the Canucks uh, gave, gave her $10,000 for medical school, which didn't make a dent, but it was a nice gesture. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if that's the kind of gratitude that people will respond with, if we are bold enough to give them a little warning about a little cancer to extend their little life just a little bit, what kind of gratitude could there be for your boldness? in speaking about Jesus so that the Holy Spirit might use that to give them eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would make us confident ministers of the gospel in the right way, Lord, not confident in ourselves, but confident in you and in your goodness and in your power. For those who are afraid to speak, Lord, Strengthen them, give them the words at each moment. Give them eyes to see opportunities to talk about Jesus. Give all of us eyes to see those opportunities and to make those opportunities and to take them. And Lord, we pray that more and more you would make us humbly, beautifully confident ministers of your new covenant in this town and around the world so that more people would have a chance to hear and repent and believe and that more worship would go up to you. Would you do that for your own namesake, Lord? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.